Hey, will you help me welcome everybody who's joining us online? We're so glad that you're with us. And those that are streaming this after the fact, we're so glad we are happy that you're with us. Hey, can you show them we're glad? That's good. Let me be the first to welcome you to um, this first Sunday in June. Guys, welcome to summer in Seattle. I mean, it has been raining. For those of you that aren't here in Colorado, lucky you. Um, you know, uh, I was thinking a lot about what this means this weekend, like summer starts, and it's like baseball games and barbecues, and for many of us, family vacations. One of, my, one of my favorite memories, or at least one that stuck in my mind, was a family vacation from probably about 10 years ago. So my kids were getting at that age where we felt like, all right, this is our time to go to Disney World. And so we packed up, and in the middle of summer, we headed down to Disney. Now, i have never been to Disney World. I had only heard that it was a magical place, right, where only fun exists. And then I got there in the middle of July, and... <laughs> I don't know who they're talking to because it didn't look fun at all. There were lines everywhere and people everywhere. And I remember as we walked into the park, I said to my wife, I'm like, babe, we're gonna be waiting in lines all day long. It's like 157 degrees and we're gonna be waiting in lines all day long. And about that moment, one of the magical musketeer people said, oh, but do you know about our fast pass? Now, 10 years ago, the way the fast pass system worked is different than now. For those of you Disney loyalists, now you have a phone and you do the app. But back in the day, you actually had to go to the ride and pull tickets from the ride, and that ticket would tell you when to come back to that ride. Well, the way my brain works and the way my mind is, it all made sense. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I could probably roadmap this entire day and make it so that we don't wait in a single line. And so I set about doing this. I pulled out my phone. I began to look at the map and all the times. And I said, the kids sort of came to the first line. I said, kids, dad's on it. I took off, went across the park, started pulling tickets from one ride. I'd come back, and about the time they were coming off a ride, I'd hand them a ticket. They'd get onto another ride. They'd all day long, all day long. Guys, I'm literally just running over that entire park, everywhere, running around. And by the end of the day, it was a 12-hour day. If you would have seen me, I looked like I had worked a week in a coal mine. I had dirt everywhere. I was sweating. But there was such a sense of accomplishment because my kids, they didn't wait in a single line. So we were, we were walking back to the, to the transportation center, and I was feeling really good about myself. I was like, I did it. We were waiting in line. It really was a magical day. <laughs> Walt Disney was right. And uh, as we got on the bus, I, I sensed something in my wife. And you know, I've been married for 27 years. At that point, you know, it was like 17. But still, you know when things aren't quite right with the other person. I could sense that this uh, feeling of joy that I felt wasn't shared by my wife. And so um, I, I, I dipped my toe in the water. I said, uh, hey, babe. Didn't have a fun day today? She looked back at me and she goes, did you? I was like, well, yeah. <sighs> we didn't wait in a single line, did we? She goes, it's funny that you're using the word we. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, Eric, remember we came to Florida 
on a family vacation. My question is, how much time did you spend with your family today? Oh. She's like, yeah. I would call what you did today a massive adventure in missing the point of a family vacation. <laughs> I think about this often. And I, I wonder sometimes if we look at our lives, if too often we are running through our lives from one thing to the other, and are we missing the point of our lives? I think we're often tempted to believe that the way in which we live is like a modern problem, but the reality is Jesus actually has something to say about this. Very specifically, a pointed situation that I think mirrors that Disney World experience quite well. It's found in Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, you can pull them out. If you don't, it's gonna be on the side screens. Those of you online, you'll see it below me. Here's how it reads. It says in Luke chapter 10, this is verse 38 says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him, this is Jesus, into her home. Now, let me pause. You have to understand, hospitality in Jesus' day was a really big deal. Now, I grew up in a home where hospitality was a big deal. My mom came from the South, and so like how you hosted a guest was important. It was even more so in Jesus' day. To host a guest and to do this well was built into their culture. And so Martha is doing exactly what she's supposed to do. She's supposed to go to the house and begin to clean up and make the meal. This is the way in which the world is wired for her and you add on top of that the fact that her gender would have certain rules as well. She would be in the kitchen, she would be cleaning and cooking. This is the way it's supposed to be. So what you read in scripture and what Martha was doing was the way in which the world was wired for her. It's what she's supposed to do. It says back to scripture, her sister though, Mary, she sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. She came to Jesus and she said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister sits here while I do all the work. Will you tell her to help me? Now remember, this is what Mary is supposed to do. Mary's not doing what she's supposed to do. She's supposed to be in the kitchen. This is the way the world is wired for her. And then you add gender. Not only is a female supposed to be working in the kitchen and slaving back uh, where no one sees them, you're definitely not supposed to be sitting at a rabbi's feet as a student. This did not happen. And so Martha would be pointing out the obvious, hey, Jesus, this isn't the way the world is wired for us. Would you tell her to fit in? And Jesus says this, my dear Martha, you're worried and you are upset over all of these details. Really, there's only one thing worth being concerned about and Mary has discovered it. And I'm not gonna take it away from her. The NIV says Mary has chosen it. 
I love this construct that Jesus lays out. He said, yeah, I understand. This world says one thing. It says this is the way you're supposed to function. This is the speed at which you're supposed to function at. But Mary has discovered, as if it were hidden somewhere in this world, the way it's supposed to be. And we think about, well, then what is this way that it's supposed to be? And on the surface, we think, oh, well, yeah, of course, it it is to sit at Jesus' feet. But if you look in Matthew chapter 6, I think Jesus pinpoints the way it's supposed to be for all of us who claim Jesus as our rabbi. He says this, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. Don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. Why do we miss so much of what God's doing? I think it's because we live in a world that has convinced us that the pace of this world is the way that it's supposed to be. Most of us live, me included, inside of this world that is just going. And it's funny because the moment I start to do anything, I don't know if this is you, in fact, I do know it's you. As soon as I do anything, like I start to work on a message, Google starts to add stuff into my feed. Anybody else, right? Like, I know, they're listening to me. And so I'm, I'm sitting there and, and, and as I'm working on this message, I get this quiz that comes across um, my feed that says, um, are you too busy? And so I took the quiz and I felt terrible. So I thought, I'm gonna give you the quiz too. (laughs) So here it is. Are you too busy? Question number one. Do you live with a daily sense that there's not enough time to get done with everything you need to accomplish? Anybody? Yeah. Question number two. Do you nod a lot when a person is talking slowly in an effort to keep them moving along? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, me too. Number three, do people close to you have to say things two, three times in order to get your attention? Don't nudge the person next to you. Question number four, are you always thinking about the next thing you have to do or the next place you have to go? See, here's the truth about the world in which we live. It is built to move us along from one thing to another as fast as humanly possible. Think about it. We, we have super highways that move us from Castle Rock to the city as fast as possible, and three lanes aren't enough. We have to add four lanes, and you can't just have a tollway where you put coins in it. There has to be a pass so you can go what? Faster. We have high-speed internet that isn't just for our work. It's in our homes and apps and email, phones, all in the name of hurry and productivity. And there is this need for speed because we believe that if we do more faster, it will be better. If maybe I can just do more faster, I'll live a better life. And this isn't something that's new. It was interesting because Doug a few weeks ago referenced an article and and I had to dust it off because I think we have convinced ourselves over the last 60 years that if we do more and we do it faster, it's gonna make a better life. In fact, um, this Time magazine that Doug was referencing 
It notes that in 1960, there was like expert testimony. At the Senate, they had this subcommittee for time management. And during the testimony, the essence of what was said was that because of advances, now remember, this is 1960. Because of advances in technology, within 20 years or so, so by 1980, 20 years or so, people would have to radically cut back on how many hours a week they worked or how many weeks a year that they worked or else they would have to start retiring early. And it goes on to say this, the great challenge was what people would do with all of their free time. Anybody struggling with that decision these days? Yeah, me neither. See, we work more and faster and harder and we go and we go because this is what the world requires. And I wonder sometimes if we're just like Martha. This is the way the world is. And so we just sort of go along with it like ants marching. I I was in my house like two weeks ago. This literally happened. I'm standing, I go down to the kitchen, I get a cup of coffee and there's a dude standing right outside my window. I was like, whoa. I come over to the kitchen door, I go outside, I was like, hey man, what you doing? It's like, I'm putting in fiber optic to your home. So he was a worker, so that was good. And he was doing the lines on the lawn, I was like, oh, wait, 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 I didn't order fiber optic to my home. He goes, you didn't have to. We're putting it in on the whole neighborhood. I was like, oh, okay, why? And he's like, because with fiber optic, your speeds to the internet will go 10 times faster. And I was like, so 10 times faster than right now? He's like, oh yeah. I go, because right now, like when I get on the internet, it like goes all the way to the moon and back in like one second. So 10 times faster than that? He goes, exactly. I was like, who needs 10 times faster? But this is the way in which we live, right? Faster's better. We can speed through things and move faster through our days and add more into our days. And maybe if we add more into our days and go faster, we'll live the life that we hope we live. When in actuality, if your life looks anything like my life, I tend to take faster and it makes all of my relationships less. I skim through time with my friends. I skim through moments with my children. I'm too short with my spouse. I'm not connected with God. I am impatient. These systems that move so fast, I am impatient. Have you ever been on an airplane and you've logged on to internet and gotten frustrated by the fact that it wouldn't go fast enough when you're in the air? (laughs) It's like we have begun to believe that this impatience is the way in which we are to exist and I think it's killing us. In fact, John Ortberg, author, pastor, theologian, says this about impatience. He believes that impatience is the great enemy of our spiritual life in this day. But it's not a modern problem. See, we as humans, we live this way. We've been doing it for a long time. 
I mean, this is why Jesus is sitting with uh, Mary and talking with Martha. And, and I got to wonder, and I'm like, well, I wonder what Jesus would have said then. I mean, he, he obviously spoke to Mary and Martha about this one thing, but if Jesus would have preached what most rabbis in his time would have preached, he probably would have referenced Moses. Because we know rabbis in Jesus' day often would look at Moses when it came to this idea of presence. Now remember, Moses is maybe one of the most exceptional human beings that's ever lived. I mean, he freed millions of people from their oppressors after 400 plus years of slavery. And then he, he moved them out of their home to a new land. This is what Moses did. So you gotta believe as he's doing all of this work, he's a pretty busy guy. Keeping millions of people alive, crossing the Red Sea, uh, making sure they're clothed, keeping them in order, this is what Moses did. And in Exodus chapter 24, a rabbi would point out this. That as he's been given instruction by God, something happens. The verse reads this way, the Lord said to Moses, and this is Exodus 24 verse 12, come up to the mountain and stay here and I'll give you the tablets of stone with the law and commands that I've written for there, your people instructions. You read this and so often we move to God saying, hey, come up here and I'm gonna give you some stuff because remember Moses is doing a bunch of work on God's behalf. But, but the problem is, is that the translation of two words changes the context of this entire verse. The Hebrew we look at in the translation of stay here is the Hebrew word hayaya. It's kind of fun to say. If you were to translate it more accurately, stay here makes sense in the verse, but the better translation is be here. Could it be that as God was talking to Moses in the midst of all that his world was, the busyness of all of it, keeping it all alive, doing all the things that the world required him to do now, God was saying, hey, before I give you the tablets and we send you back to work, could you come up on the mountain and just be here? Could you just be here? In this moment, with me, You see, God knows how we're wired, that all of us set goals in our lives, these mountains that we climb, the things that we're going to do, whether it's the big accomplishments of life or just what we're gonna do today. And, and so often we work and we toil and we speed and we go, climbing these mountains and then when we get on top of them, we're never on top of the mountain. We just move on to the next mountain and to the next thing and our world has made it so that it is easy to just be anywhere but here. I talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, I was here preaching and I talked about my grandbaby. Could you put that picture up of her? Look at that little thing. This is Henley, and Henley reminds me that if you've lost hope about the ability to be present, that you shouldn't, because 
Every single one of us in this room has the capacity to learn to live in every single moment because every one of you was that little girl at one point in your life. And I was reminded of her vitality. Just a few weeks ago, I was out with her and you remember I told you that um, my name is Pops, but she couldn't say Pops, so she called me Pots. And I, I thought that was kind of cool, and then I got really adjusted to Pots, and I was like, oh, cool, I'm Pots. And then last week when I was with her, she changed it back to Pops. So now I'm Pops, a little bit sad about it, but we were together, and we were in this, this moment together, and I pulled out my phone and I recorded it because I think it's kind of important for you to see, hey, play that, play that moment with her. In our fort, aren't we? Aren't we laying in our fort? Huh? Hey. I love you. Kelly. Say hi. 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 So here's the thing. That was the 10th time we had done that. We had built this fort, and I'm not kidding. That was the 10th time. Because I would crawl out of the fort, and as soon as I started to walk away, she'd follow me out, and she'd go, Pops, again? And we would crawl underneath, and I would say the same things, and do the same things, and kiss her cheek, and she'd kick her legs, and then I'd say, say hi. We did it 27 times. (laughs) Over, and over, and over, And I began to wonder, is this why Jesus loved kids so much? Because they seem to know how to be in awe of a moment, not trying to get to something else or go somewhere else. She didn't worry about what was next or where we were going to lunch or what we had to organize for dinner. It was that moment right there. G.K. Chesterton He wrote this famous book called Orthodoxy, and he he talks about children. When he says this, he says, because children have an unbounding vitality, and because they are spirit, fierce, and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people, we're not strong enough to exult in monotony. Listen to this, listen to this. He says, is it possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun? Is it possible that every evening he says, do it again to the moon? It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately because he never got tired of making them. How many moments have I let pass by because the world says I have other things to go do? You know, the reality is that what I experienced in that tent with Henley 
was like this moment of love, me and her. And I got to thinking, you know, I can't experience love with her in the future. And I can't experience love with her in the past. I can only experience it right here. Like we can't experience love any other moment but this one. It's the only one we have. I think Jesus wasn't just talking to Martha 2,000 years ago. He, he has a message for us. He's saying, Plum Creek, like, are you making room for your life, the life you actually want? Or are you just blowing through the wind on the systems that have been created, speeding from one thing to the next? As Jesus said, are you giving your entire attention to what God is doing right now? Like right now. When a friend calls and wants to connect, not worried about the dinner plans you had, you just make room for it. When your kids are begging you to play and you're absolutely exhausted, you make room for it. At 6.15 tonight, when your wife comes in and says, honey, can we talk right as the game starts? I believe we're tempted to think that all of these little moments, they don't mean much, when in actuality, they're sacred. And now think about this for a minute. Those of you that are followers of Jesus, we talk about how God's spirit is alive in his word. And that is so true. But do you not also understand that in every follower of Jesus that you interact with, that same spirit is alive in them? Play that out. That means that every interaction that you have with another follower of Jesus, it is this sacred interaction with someone who holds God's spirit in them. Oh, it is sacred. And what would it look like if we took those moments as sacred? That we weren't trying to rush from one thing to another. Listen, this message isn't meant to make you feel guilty because maybe I'm 5% there. I live in the same world that you all live in. So how do we, how do we start? Well, one, start small. Start small, like today. Put some tools in your tool belt, two books that I absolutely adore. One is a book by John Ortberg called The Life You've Always Wanted. But there's a second book that we've actually been talking about here at church. It's a book by John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Start small, pick up a book, start to read these things. Start small. In the morning, set aside five minutes to slow down. Start small. Just resist the impulse to press the closed door button on the elevator. They don't even work. <laughs> I don't know what it looks like for you, but Start small and then start now. James says our lives are but a mist. They're just a mist. And I think about how fast that 10 years ago at Disney, how fast it went from then till now. And then I project 10 years from now. Will it go equally that fast? Oh, yes, it will. Start small and start now. 
Jesus says it this way, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. Don't worry about the past and get worked up about the future.